I'm sitting in Vernon at Kalamalka Lake, uh, the lake of many colors, with a return volunteer named Andy Beulah. Hi, Andy. Hi, Amita. How are you doing today? Very well, thank you. Nice. Gorgeous day out today. Yeah, I wish you were all here in the sunny Okanagan. Um, Andy went to Nigeria. Andy, what year was it? 69 to 71. So one of the early volunteers. Where did you go from? What? What? Um, well, I was you hired in? on in at UBC. Okay. Or made my first contact at UBC, and then we went through to uh, Ontario for orientation, yeah. and then from or, from there flew to Kano in northern Nigeria. That's where you and were. That's, that's where I was for the first now, half of my tour. Yeah. So you're a very interesting guy. You're just you started off in. In laboratory sciences, would yes, you say? Yes, I was a medical lab, uh, medical laboratory technologist. And specializing in? When I was here, it was still general, general lab technology. Um, I had a you know, chemistry and bacteriology and blood banking and hematology background in all of those, so that you can do general services in a hospital lab. So you get recruited, you head, head off to northern Nigeria. Is that the time that the stuff was happening in Biafra? Yes, it was. Yes. What was that like? In the north, there was virtually nothing, that, no war, no crisis really observable. What we did notice is that there were primarily just Hausa and Fulani, the Muslim peoples there. There weren't the... Igbo people who had originally taken over a lot of the government posts, um, a lot of the the, the better educated uh, tribes of Nigeria were not available because in the north there was about four percent literacy. Wow, that's tremendous low. poverty. It was very low. Um, a lot of the people who had any literacy were only familiar with the Quran, which they learned by rote. Yeah. Um, so there was a lot of poverty, not much, not much. Known. So, so when you're in Nigeria, and many people, the reason I'm asking about Biafra is many people have forgotten what that was. So in a few sentences, could you describe what happened in Nigeria during this um, time? The crisis had actually started before we went out. I think it was 66, 67. Um, there are several hundred different tribes in Nigeria. The northern peoples got concerned that a lot of the administrative posts and a lot of the government was being taken over by southern tribes. There's a lot of tension, a lot of stress. Uh, there were several incidents of killing, which violence, violence which led to uh, this separation and in, in Biafra. But when I say, when I think of the word, the name Biafra, I think of starving people. Did a lot they of did were afterwards, but Biafra was one of the wealthier areas of Nigeria. It's the wow. area that had the oil. It's the area wow. that had the riches. It's the area that had a lot of education. It was in the southeastern portion of Nigeria. And a lot of those people were fairly well educated, um, took a lot of the government posts. Um, it wasn't that long before that Nigeria had become an independent country, so uh, all, that all that turmoil was around. And then there were 
crises, some shootings, people became afraid, uh, people started, and eventually I think the Kubu Gawain was, or, the, or one of the earlier administrators was from the north, and we ended up, they didn't wish the area of Biafra to secede from Nigeria, so uh, there was a war to try and retain it, and whoever was in charge of the Biafran area was feeling they could become independent. Uh, they had their wealth, they had, there was a lot of people killed. By the time I got down to the south, which was in 1970, there was a lot of starvation, there was a lot of Kwashiorkor, there were a lot of people in fear, uh, crops had been That's heard. what we saw as yeah. images here. Yeah. And food, because they had just, the crisis had just been over, transport wasn't bringing new foods in very well because we're not going to help those people. Foods were going other areas. Mm. Trucks that could have been used to bring mission, uh, welfare supplies, food, clothing and that to the Biafrans were being, they could make more bringing beer in so they would bring beer elsewhere. Oh, so it, it, was, it was a time of tough. turmoil at, it was. at the time. So, Andy, you go there, and from what I remember, you start in. A, you were supposed to be in a lab that really didn't exist, mm -hmm. and then you end up towards your end of your assignment doing something quite interesting and spectacular. Tell me. Well, not so much spectacular, but well, it, it was more I worthwhile. Think it is. <laughs> <laughs> no, in the north, I went out to train what were called dispensary assistants. These were. The main hospital in Kano was about a 500-bed hospital, and they had about a thousand outpatients a day. A lot of these people were malaria, or there were scrapes, or they were hookworm, or they were diseases which were fairly common there. What I went out to do was to train dispensary assistants how to do about a dozen screening tests that they Some could basic do ones. In, in small. Uh, compounds out in the in the rural area. Yeah. Somebody else was going to teach them basic pharmacy. Somebody else was going to uh. teach them basic first aid. So a lot of these outpatients that had to come into Kano Didn't could be to. treated or could be dealt with out there. Yeah, that's great. But, for uh, it, it sounded really good and I was young and idealistic and <laughs> keen to go and keen to do stuff and I arrived there and they hadn't built the building yet. Much uh. less have any students, much less have any supplies. So I ended up just having to work in the government hospital in Kano, doing not very much. Um, did that for about six months and decided that either find me some work or send me home. Yeah. Uh, shortly thereafter, the Biafran crisis ended and I was offered another position in the south. Um, a hospital had in Aguashuku had been used as a hospital. It was a fairly major hospital. Uh, community hospital. It was taken over as a army base during the crisis, had been essentially fairly damaged and some Irish Catholic sisters and a Polish Catholic reverend father from the States came to try and set it up as a hospital again and get people to come back. Um, there were at least 13 Nigerians from that area who were studying abroad who weren't coming back so they had to use oh. expatriate personnel to develop to run the hospital. So I was able to 
in fairly short order, design a lab, train several boys for that hospital, train two boys for another hospital, um, help build an x-ray, design an x-ray dark room. Which you'd never done before. Never done before, <laughs> but hey, <laughs> there you can do anything. There, innovation. Um, so when I, by the time I left, the hospital was running well, people were starting to lose their fear of coming back because it had been just an army base and we're starting to, to come back to that hospital and to be used. Two of the, one of the boys, two of the boys that I trained there, one stayed for about a year, year and a half and then went into a journalism and is now in a government position. Oh, so you know where he is. Yeah. One of the other ones stayed for much of his life until he had a stroke and... In the lab? In the lab, yeah. He, that was, he, he had Aww. a job. The other two boys from the other hospital, I don't know what had happened to them. but uh, So you... We, we kept contact for about 30 years with Christmas letters and Fantastic. So here we are in Vernon, British Columbia on a sunny day. There's something else that I'd like to say about Andy. Andy is helping us with our 50th reunion and um, is kind of our, we call it Nancy Drew Hardy Boys project. He's kind of kingpin in that area. So whoever, if you are, have been a QSO, VSO volunteer, and you are uh, trying to get back in touch, you might hear from Andy Bueller. Thank you, yes, yes, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Because we'd like to contact and get in touch with as many people as we can who've been out and served over the years, who may like to reminisce, who may like to talk over old times, who may like to recontact or reconnect with QSO. So we're looking forward to having a, a good time in Ottawa. So Andy, so, Almost 50 years later, 35 million hours of service, you're a part of that history yes. and I thank you on behalf of everyone at QSOVSO for your work today and your work in the past. Oh, thank you very much, Yamita. Have a great day.